Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hello everyone, Ben Keedy here again with another episode of the Wealth Crypto Podcast. This time we've got Brad Roth of Thor Investments who joined us today. So he has a background on the institutional hedge fund side and started Thor a couple of years ago and does a couple of things. One of them is obviously crypto and that's what caught my eye, but he also runs some ETF strategies around equity fixed income and some single stock stuff too. So without much further ado, we will jump into it and hope you enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Brad, hello. What's up? Hey, Ben. How are you? Good. Good. Just hanging here. Sacramento, it's hot. Um, yeah. But that's every summer in Sacramento. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in, I'm in Pittsburgh and uh, not only has it been hot, but it has been so humid you can barely go outside. So I'm fine in the air conditioning today. Yeah, I do not do well in the humidity. I've got like, I wear a hat for a reason. I've got this really yeah. thin hair and <laughs> humidity. It's just like, I, it looks really sad. So <laughs> I get but, it. Luckily, Sacramento is not that. Um, but yeah, thanks for doing this today, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, for everyone else out there listening, just a quick intro. Um, Brad and I met because I hunted him down on LinkedIn after reading a Coindesk article about risk managed crypto strategies. Um, he runs a couple of strategies at Thor, uh, but one of them is crypto-based. The others are not. So with that kind of quick intro, Brad, maybe just tell me a little bit about you and Thor and, you know, kind of where crypto fits in your life. Sure. Yeah. And Ben, thanks for having me on. I don't normally reply to too many LinkedIn messages. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad you're, you're having me on. And um, just a little bit about, you know, myself and kind of how I got here in Thor. I mean, I used to work on uh, family office space and then worked in institutional finance, more on the hedge fund side. Okay. Um, and then uh, launched Thor with, um, you know, a technology that uh, was able to kind of identify volatility and and when we should be owning assets and when we should not be owning assets and uh, went out to the retail space um, and was running primarily just um, ETF strategies, right? Yeah. Um, so we were running equity-based or fixed income-based. We have some single stock strategies. Um, but the crypto space really started to open up to the financial advisor community and RIA space more. Um, and with our process, it works, like I said, really well on volatility. And we know that some of these crypto assets can be volatile. Um, and we No way. <laughs> yeah. And so we noticed um, kind of this hole in the market space where a lot of people were trying to deliver alpha and we were saying, okay, let's try to figure out how we can kind of make uh, crypto, the crypto ride a little bit more peaceful and try to manage some risk. And so it's been about two years now since we've been live with our crypto strategies, spot Bitcoin, spot Ethereum, and that's how okay. we got into the space. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there as NASA manager for crypto. Like what, um, I mean, maybe, so the goal here really with this podcast, right, is to highlight solutions for generally retail wealth wealth managers to begin to just kind of understand the crypto space, right? Like 
my experience in my day-to-day as salesperson is it's pretty 50 50 still like, Mm -hmm. and you have spectrums there. Like you have people who are all in and like super into it. And then, you know, you have people who are like, this is trash. Like it's a Ponzi scheme. Um, But I think a lot of them are just kind of waiting for maybe a little direction, things to kind of settle down a little bit and truly kind of accept a new asset class. Like how do you, how does Thor kind of see that with, it's clients like it's off manager clients like where why are they coming to you how are they thinking about it you know sure how do you yeah so i think crypto is one of the first asset classes i mean at least in my career where it's been client driven um where they where they want to own it they read a lot about it um it's actually funny i I, you know I'll, i'll directly answer your question but i remember in 2013 my mom called and she's like, Hey, you know, I want to buy Bitcoin. And I'm like, no. And she probably would have had that in 13. She probably would have had an airplane by now, but um, you know, it it is what it is. And it it takes time to, to adopt these things. And I think over time and and maturity um, and everything that was going on um, more on the institutional side, in terms of crypto, once you started to see, you know, broker dealers um, or wirehouse or not in wirehouses, but uh, custodians. Yeah. Yeah. And, and start to really adopt these things. You know, clients were taking these ideas to advisors and advisors really where they had to lack, uh, they, they really had a lack of knowledge, right? Yeah. And so the first thing when it comes to working with the advisor community is, you know, we have to get them up to speed on the education when it comes to crypto. Um, and so once they start to understand it, rather than just thinking as a, uh, you know, a speculative asset or something that's, they can kind of relate to a penny stock, they really need to start to figure out how to implement it in their practice. And so- yeah. We originally, what we, we look at this is no other than, uh, let me speak directly to Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. We'll leave Ethereum out. But I think of Bitcoin really is, is something that can fit inside of that commodity sleeve um, in an overall portfolio. Something, yeah. something that's not as correlated, you know, maybe 2 to 5% exposure in an overall highly diversified portfolio. It doesn't fit for everybody. Um, but that's kind of where at least the advisors that I talk to see it. I've talked to okay. some advisors where their whole practice is crypto, right? That's, yeah. just, that's just what they do. But that's yeah. a rarity um, in kind of the space that I work in. Sure, sure. So you, you kind of touched on two high-level points there. So education and generally yeah. kind of how to access. What, what is it that you see in the education or lack thereof that people need to, or advisors rather, need to get caught up in when thinking about potentially allocating to this? Or do you feel like they're short on understanding? Well, it's just the basics, really. Um, okay. that, you know, when you try to, when you kind of walk them through how money's evolved over time, right? Um, and can yeah. and get them to where Bitcoin is now in the cycle, right? Yeah. You could start with, okay, we had, um, we used to barter and trade, and then you had the gold standard, and then we have the yeah. fiat standard that we have now. And then you kind of work them down the line, a light bulb starts to go off, and they start to understand a little bit. Um, and how it fits in. You start talking about use cases. You, you start talking about the number of transactions that Bitcoin does, you know, in a given year, which is up, right up there with Visa MasterCard, right? And they start to really yeah. understand it as, okay, this is something legitimately real. Um, and it's something that they have to pay attention to. And those are the types of things we're trying to help them from an educational side um, okay. to really just walk them through to figure out how we got here in the first place and, and why it makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. So it's almost just kind of like running evaluation on the stock in a way like why is this why is this supposed to be worth what it is right right and trying to justify yeah. that 
trying to justify it. and then show them, you know, all the, the, you can't just show them return. Right. And you have yeah, to show yeah. them all of the other things of, you know, recently this isn't true, but for a very long time, it was an uncorrelated asset to equities and it, it would fit yeah. really well as a diversifier, you know, over the last, NASDAQ 100. <laughs> yes. The last 18 months it's called NASDAQ 100. Right. But um, that was a really good, you know, kind of selling point, but now we kind of have to reevaluate that and, and get a little bit more, you know, sure. data to support that. Yeah. Um, when people are coming to you, like, is, is it like the advisors feeling like they need to offer a solution because they feel like they're getting left behind and they need a way to respond? Or is it all like generally end to client driven? The client says, hey, we need to allocate two to five, 10 percent, whatever, to this asset class. Go figure it out. Like, what is the average sort of scenario you usually see? Yeah, I, I think the normal scenario is that advisors are understanding that they need to have this offering because maybe it's not huge in the institutional space now, but it is growing and they're going to get left behind. The second thing they also, I mean, uh, advisors at the end of the day, they're all paid based off of management fees, right? We know that. Yeah. Um, And all of a sudden they have assets outside of their care custody and control, (laughs) which they can no longer bill bill on. Right. So, they need to find a, a solution to be able to retain those assets. And so, you know, you've got a client with a, a couple million dollar account, all of a sudden pulling 200 grand out, you know, that you better have a solution in order to be able to custody those assets and maintain those assets. Sure. Um, and, you know, those are the two main points. Uh, it's, 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 it's a rarity where, um, you know, an advisor will come to me and say, you know, I have, my clients are banging on the door for this and I need it. Yeah. Um, they, I think they're seeing the tidal wave shift and are trying to get ahead of it rather than be totally left out in the wind. Sure. But I did read a, 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 Ben, you probably know this data. It was something like, I forget who did the study, but it was something like 84% of clients would consider leaving their advisor for another advisor that op- offered advice in crypto. Um, and I have I, not heard that. I should try and figure that out. Um, I have it. I just, I have to, it's been so long okay. since I, but it's, uh, yeah. And I found that really interesting. And so, um, you know, retail clients or end clients definitely want some sort of help around it and they need yeah. to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that I've kind of observed over the last couple of years, you know, with like the adoption of retail, you know, mass retail in the market, Wall Street bets and, you know, Robin Hood and all that sort of stuff. People definitely seem more engaged in what money is. And maybe it's just like a, a byproduct of like millennials generally living through two, you know, pretty severe, um, you know, like black swan events, right? Like technically that's not supposed to happen within 10 years, right? So people are looking for ways to kind of catch up and get educated. Um I mean, one of the big things I've really sort of learned about is just the history of money. And you touched yep. on this earlier, going from, you know, barter trade, like seashells, glass beads, stuff yep. like that, to, and I'm just quoting the Bitcoin standard here, basically. I'm, I don't know <laughs> if you've read it or not. Um, great book by, uh, what's his name? It's uh, it's hard to say, Saifedean Amus, right? I yeah. have not read it, but I you will. You should. You should. He's got two good, so quick shout out here to him, but he's got two really good books. The Bitcoin standard is great. It walks through the history of money and why generally hard assets create better monies overall, just because you can't print them out of nowhere. Right. Right. Um, 
But then he's also got a newer book on fiat that he recently released in the last two years. Um, So both of those are great to kind of get people caught up. But that's just, I guess my question or point is like, do the advisors you talk with, are they general, are they aware of kind of like the history of money or do they kind of take it for granted that like we've got the Federal Reserve, this is how we do it, it is what it is, like, how, how, I would say the latter, right? Yeah. I would I would say the latter. Some of your younger advisors um, that you know I would say sub forty um, yeah. are really buying into to that idea. But I mean, to your point, right? I mean, look, think about how much money we've printed over the last you know twenty four months. I mean, since astronomical, COVID, right? it's astronomical, <laughs> right? And and the markets now have become so Fed dependent on you know their decision making and are they tightening? Are they printing? Are they you know? And so. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a, where, where you, where I hear, I spent a lot of time, actually, I, I don't, I, I don't wish I had the time back, but I kind of wish I had the time back and yeah. I would sit in Twitter spaces, you oh, know, oh, yeah. <laughs> my wife would get like, my wife would go to bed. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I want to jump in a crypto Twitter space and, yeah, and yeah. see what, see what they're saying and see what's going on. Yeah. And, and it is, I was shocked, you know, how, deeply knowledgeable, knowledgeable some yeah. of the people at least were on the history of money and yep. where we're going and how we're going there. I mean, I, I did learn a lot. Um, but you know, I went down the rabbit hole for a couple hours a few times and wish maybe I had <laughs> wish I maybe oh. had some of that time back. Yeah. 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 No, I remember listening to uh, I jumped in one of those spaces too right after uh Terra Luna blew up. And oh, yeah. just listening to uh, 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 what's Charles Hoskinson. Um, yep. Cardano, Ethereum, right? And he, you know, he's just like incredibly thoughtful just with all of that. And mm-hmm. I, I do kind of generally think that a lot of people just take for granted like what money is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think once you understand kind of what it is and what we're currently doing, you know, inflation and cost of living and all these things make just a lot more sense to people than intuitively. Yes. um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting that, like, I think there is a generation of people who are coming up in this more so than ever before who are more in tune with monetary policy and these types of things. So I would imagine that advisors are going to increasingly have to be engaged with this conversation or get left behind. Yeah. Well, I mean, and just look how, I mean, look how our generation lives. I mean, and you know, the kids, um, you know, younger and coming up my, my dad, you know, he's in his seventies. He doesn't go anywhere without cash in his pocket. I don't live with cash. Right. So digital currency or this digital concept to me of paying things with some sort of, card or my phone or whatever it is, right? Just, I'm fine with that. Um, I understand yeah. all of the concepts of why Bitcoin, you know, can be a better monetary solution. And I agree with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those things with how we're living our life today that it just, it's a lot easier for an adoption of a younger generation. That's like, I've ne- I know friends that have probably never carried cash. Right. And, oh, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's just one of those things. And, and it just, you know, makes life a little bit easier and I, I can, I can see why the adoption has been so prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the younger generation, I would say, so I'm 32. Um, I would say pretty much everyone below me, right. People coming up are, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're all like super into crypto, maybe the way that we are, but they're more 
in tune with it than like obviously our parents generation oh yeah um and i think there's going to be an interesting sort of allocation to it over the next like 10 to 15 years particularly as you know the great wealth transfer continues and that money ultimately ends up in the hands of you know 40 30 and eventually the 20 year olds of today like a lot of that money is going to find its way into these cryptocurrencies and DeFi assets for sure yeah i would would be my bet yeah. yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. Um, I think too, as you start to see more institutional adoption, um, that's really going to that's really going to help it take off. I mean, we're just in the early innings of that. Yeah. I mean, we're very early in yeah. that. Yeah. So with uh like on the institutional side, like I guess I would kind of put you and your crypto strategy of Thor in that bucket. Like what what do you guys kind of see like in terms of like roadblocks to the industry are also opportunities to the industry. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, you know, I've been in the wealth management space for, uh, since I, you know, for, I'm trying to, I don't know, 15 years now. Yeah. Um, and you saw the change in technology and adoption of all the different tools you need to run a wealth management business, right? Sure. If you're an RIA, yeah. so you you know you have the adoption of, of platforms and aggregators and TAMPs and risk management tools and all of these different things, right? And yeah. there's still yeah. the fintech space in, in that area is still is still growing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. that I needs that's to. Dave. That's my data. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. And so you you see all of that happening, and all of that also needs to now happen on the crypto side, right? You're yeah. just starting to see the platforms come out. You're starting to see the custodian agnostic platforms. You're starting to see platforms that are offering model marketplaces, account opening, right? All of these yeah, different services, yeah. right? Um, it's happening at a much faster pace, um, but you're, you're seeing the industry start to become put together. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. think once you have uh, the ease of opening account, billing solved, um, yeah. once you have how to, how to transfer custody assets in a safe manner, uh, yeah. Which there are providers out there that currently do that, but once yeah. once you have it, once it's the the feel of traditional asset management in a sense of how they mm-hmm. run their business, um, that's when you start to see kind of more adoption. But you know they they still they still need to solve some of these issues, um, yeah. and people so, are doing that at a rapid pace. Yeah. So so what are the issues that come to mind for you particularly on the institutional side that need addressing? Yeah. So I think really there's. Let me say one from the advisor's perspective that I think sure. is is or maybe two things from the advisor perspective that are big deals, and then yeah. one from my perspective. The two things um, from an investment advisor's perspective is billing. Yeah. Um, right now, the way that they're billing is is you know they're they're billing the asset um, and putting it into a crypto wallet for the advisor. While the advisor's then you know now he has crypto exposure on his revenues. And so then he's got to go in every month and either pull like it out or swipe it. To, yeah, it's not like getting paid yeah. in traditional cash, right? They have business expenses they need to take care of. Yeah. Um, and if they have large billings in crypto, you know, that's that's one thing they kind of have to solve is sure. how do we how do we bill a crypto account, auto convert it, distribute it to an advisor the way that they're used to via you know an ACH. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. That, that's that's one. Um, the second, and I kind of lost my second as I was going through that thought. It, it was oh visibility, kind of visibility of the account in the way that they're used to seeing it, right? So an advisor now, they log into their dashboard, whatever it may be, they can find their clients, 
They yeah. can see all of their accounts. They know what's going on. They know what their positions are. Now um, they have to go somewhere else. They have to go to another portal, right? These things yeah. need to, they need to be able to talk with one another. That, yeah, that's yeah. happening. It's happening. Um, but they need to be able to see the, the whole portfolio allocation. They need to be able to manage all the accounts from one place. The last thing an advisor needs is another sign-on to another service yeah. to, be able yeah. to, <laughs> to, to help a client. <laughs> they don't need that. <laughs> no. And so from that perspective, um, now on the other side of it, where for me as a money manager, for somebody who's managing these assets, yeah, what, what creates a challenge, somebody who's active like myself, is Bitcoin's a 24-7 asset. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if there is a problem at two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday um, and you need to make a transaction in this asset, yeah. my systems better be able to talk to your systems yeah. to make sure those trades get executed. Right. And not yeah. everybody has trade desk capabilities. There's very few that have 24 seven trade desk in three yeah. or four different time zones. And so somebody who runs an active strategy like myself, there might be a crypto service provider that comes to me and says, Hey, I, I love your strategy. I'd like to have it on my platform and make it available to my clients. And the first question I ask is, do you have a trade desk? And the answer is yes, but it's not 24 seven, 365, where if it's, you know, unfortunately it's part of my job, but if it's Christmas Eve uh, and it's three o'clock in the morning, that trade better get executed. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, What about, so a couple other things kind of come to mind just in talking about that. What about like the issues of uh, like custody and security? Right. So like early adopters of crypto, right, us included, understand our public and private keys and how to own it, whether it's hot or cold, all these things do. I guess this question is multifaceted. Do the advisors you work with understand that and do their ultimate clients still want access? So like if I'm an end client working through an advisor placing money with Thor, what is their ownership of the strategy? Can they access it at any time or do they want that? And I guess just more generally, how do you think about, you know, the libertarian side, I guess, of crypto is like, you know, it's your money in theory, yep. right? Yep. So how, how do you guys think about that? Yeah. So everything we do is the client has full access. Um, they okay. can do whatever they want with their, um, with their crypto assets at any time. They're the account holder. Um, okay. They are our strategy overlays on top and gets executed in their in their account. Okay, so it runs so, kind of like an SMA sleeve, in exactly a sense? like an yeah. SMA sleeve, right? So they, okay. have full, yeah. they have full asset, access to their crypto. Um, now, from the from the other side, you you briefly kind of touched on exchanges. That's why I that's why the institutional adoption is going to be is important to me and to other advisors is because they don't. Like the number one thing I, I say is the reason you want to bring your client's crypto assets in into your under your umbrella. The number one reason is to make sure they're safe. I mean, we've got clients that have crypto everywhere. Oh, and thousands, thousands <laughs> with exchanges, of exchanges, they, you know, that they don't uh, particularly know if they're going to get hacked that day. And so, yeah, getting it in a place where they have access to their account. The, the crypto's in cold storage for them. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's encrypted. It's at a, it's at a reputable, um, you know, third party, yeah. third party. And, you know, that I think is important rather than they download some app on their phone that's linked to some exchange that's not even domiciled in the United States and <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, their crypto's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
there was another podcast I did recently with uh, Zechariah Schaefer. He's a younger advisor, um, but uh, he he does a lot of his practice around just crypto. Like mm-hmm. his clients are that's what they partly known for. So they come to they come to him with like huge bags, right? It's like 50, 60, 70% of their net worth. Um, And, you know, part of his role he views as an advisor is to, you know, at least go through the plan, right? Like we, you know, you love crypto. It's great. It's made you a bunch of money. Do you, do you really need this? Like what if you lost half or 75% or what if you die and you lose, you know, your private key? Like, do you have an estate plan for your wife or girlfriend or friends and family to like, understand where this stuff is and right. a lot of these guys the answer is no right yep. like they're tech people they think they did it themselves whatever not thinking about that um so it was interesting to me at least that one of the things he recommended is just like just outsource it to your point get it to a professional custodian some it's in cold storage you're going to pay a small fee for it but you know you're not going to just lose it <laughs> right well that's right and it's, it's funny you say that because like you know a couple of years ago before I, you know, before there was an institutional um, option for me, you know, yeah, I was owning my crypto on a wallet and, you know, I had my, my seed phrases and everything. And I had to sit down with my wife and say, Hey, look, oh yeah, if I get hit with a bus. If I get hit by a bus, it's in here's that what seat. you do. <laughs> here's what you do. And so she's like, you're, you know, you're an idiot. And I'm oh, like, <laughs> yeah. I've had the same conversation and it's, yeah. you can see like the whites in her eyes and it's like, I have to do what? And it's like, yeah. you know, follow <laughs> these 17 steps. Yeah. Here's 17 <laughs> steps and 30 words you have to type in perfectly yeah. fine or else you're going to lose it all. And be a hundred percent sure once you hit send. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, but no, it's, it's actually made it easier, but that's, yeah. you know, I just remember looking at her, looking at me like a deer in the headlights, like whatever. Yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't die on me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's super funny. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a good point that the industry is definitely like, it's hit like a second leg. In mm-hmm. a sense. Like, um, you know, everyone's kind of talking about the wash out of Terra Luna and Celsius and these other things, but it's probably good to have a fire, right. Yep. And clear out a lot of these things. Um, Cause what will take the place is, you know, reputable players, some good consolidation, people with resources and actual businesses. Um, and then, you know, things will just continue to get easier. Right. Yep. I a hundred percent agree. I, I think everything that happened over the last year is a positive moving forward. You're going to wash out a lot of the froth that needed to be washed out. Um, and we can start to build things on reputable platforms um, that people, both people who who know what they're doing, who take security very seriously, who take know yeah. your client very seriously, yeah. um, and really have, and really the best thing for crypto is to legitimize it as an asset class, in my yeah. opinion. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so if we can, you know, get some things around it to speed that up, um, I think everything that happened opened a lot of people's eyes to be able to, you know, really vet this stuff. Um, and that's all in all a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I kind of going back to my short career as an advisor kind of always think on is just general sort of financial literacy about things. And this ties into, you know, Terra Luna and Celsius and all these companies, because like you, you'd see them offering 20% APY and you're like, what? So, you know, if you, if you have the training, you know, just basic, you know, finance 101, you can kind of 
begin at least at a gut level, just be like, what is going on here? But yep. then, you know, you'd go looking for that information and you basically just find out they have discretion to lend it out to whoever they want. And they don't tell you who they're doing or what they're doing. And yep. And then unfortunately, a lot of people learn the lesson the hard way. Yeah. Which obviously it's not good, but yeah. Um, but I don't know where I'm going with that, but it no, just, I mean, you're, yeah. I, I mean, I, the point I think is that a lot of the, a lot of the froth that was too good to be true and that yeah. anybody with a financial literacy, any financial literacy in a, and had a mind for that would be able to look at it and say, Hmm, I need to yeah. kind of dig into what's going on here. This is, this isn't possible. You yeah. know, if, if, if uh, the federal reserve is a, basically a negative real rate, <laughs> How can these people possibly be paying me twenty percent? Yeah, um, and so we, you got to go and do your deal. Oh, I was just going to say, only Michael Milken did that in the eighties, and then he went to <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Just continue. No, no, you, that's that. I was yeah. just kind of finishing that point because it's it's true, and you look at a lot of this stuff, and you know what happened in the NFT market. I know that's different, but I mean, you just look yeah. at some of this stuff and just go, you know, come on. You know, let's yeah yeah it's um i mean t- nfts made me think of uh crypto gaming i'm I'm doing a podcast next week with a guy who's really big into crypto gaming and admittedly i know like next to nothing about that yeah but he showed me just a couple of things like one of these companies is uh uh called runblocks which is basically okay. an, an earn to an earn uh, what's the term it's like uh play to earn Play to okay. current games, right? So, like, it's kind of flipping the current gaming thing on its head because with current gaming, you pay to play, right? You buy the game, you play, where it, and it doesn't really provide any value to anyone except maybe a dopamine hit for you and then some money to, you know, uh, you know, EA Sports or whatever. Yeah. Right? Um, whereas this new crypto model, I guess, is play to earn, and that could be benefits directly to you, but it could also be like this run blocks thing is more, you get out, you run, you know, you be healthy, you earn rewards that way. And then they can be ultimately transferred out vis-a-vis an exchange into USDC or Bitcoin or whatever. But it's an interesting um, concept. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, but his point too, right. Going back to why anything is a value is who is using it and do they find value in it? And it's basically the exact same way you would value a stock is like how many people are on the network do enough people find value in this like with products that go away right like yep. um event like beanie babies right yeah <laughs> sick bubble people loved them yep. and they hated them and now yep. now you can find them for a dollar right yep. yep um i don't know i guess that is kind of a frothy thing to think about but there, there's just like so much going on with the crypto space these days yeah and they're and it's good though i mean innovation is good. And you, yeah. it's, you know, we're, uh, that's why I stick to what I know, right. Which is <laughs> uh, traditional equities and, yeah. you know, I can understand Bitcoin and I can understand Ethereum. Um, but the rest of it, you yeah. know, yeah. until it becomes more legitimized, I just leave it alone. Yeah. And I mean, that's important too, to know where your guardrails are and to kind of just stick to it. Yeah. Know? Right. Um so like, let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit here. We'll, tell me a little about just kind of like your philosophy around investing and like how you got to Thor, right? Because sure. we touched on this in our initial conversation. A lot of it's around risk. 
um, you know, walk the audience through that. Like, why, why do you sure. do it through this lens? Why do you think it's more advantageous than what all the other philosophies out there are? Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a thousand different ways to build a mousetrap, right? Yeah. Um, this is just the one that I've landed on. Right. And so I started, um, you know, kind of, I'll, I'll go back way too far to kind of, to cool. tell the story, but I was one of those kids that, um, you know, my, my dad would come home and we'd, we'd sit on the couch and, um, turn on, he'd turn on Jim Cramer and I would watch Cramer and Cramer would, <laughs> would, would bring up a stock and I'd run into the computer and, and type it in and <laughs> yeah, he's hit the button and I'm, you know, I, I was like, a, I, I loved it. Right. And yeah. so I, I started out on that fundamental investor idea of like grinding through reports and reading things and, and understanding valuations. Sure. Um, and quite honestly, it, it's, it's, it's very time consuming to be able to understand all yeah. of what's going on underneath is it. And then, and, and also the opportunity costs, right? Well, yeah. I might think this stock is worth X, but everybody else needs to also come up to that same conclusion in order for them to buy the stock, to get it to where I need it to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I started um, learning about technicals, right? When mm-hmm. I was in college, um, I actually happened before college. We were one of the only high schools in the United States at the time that gave everybody a, an issued laptop from the school. Um, oh, wow. okay. So I was able to, uh, I was able to day trade all day log into my, <laughs> my TD Ameritrade account. It was, it was blocked. I had to find a way to uh, kind yeah. of go yeah. around the school's blocking system, but I trade technicals and, and do that and into college. And then I, what I learned about myself is that I wasn't very, I wasn't, I wasn't able to control my emotions well mm, enough. Gotcha. Um, I knew, um, I knew enough. Um, I knew what I was supposed to do, but the emotions just, once you're in a trade and yeah. you don't follow your plan, um, sure. you're going to get blown out. And the most dangerous thing is you don't follow your plan and it ends up working and then you think you've got to figure it out and, and you've got the brain for it. And then all of a sudden it doesn't work out so and well. Then you lizard trade into something crazy. And yeah. So I, um, I ended up going, uh, I ended up just starting working on systematic investing strategies and it started out with, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I got to learn really, uh, I got to learn some really cool things when I was in the family office space. Right. We got to yeah. see, um, fundamental strategies, technical strategies, quantitative strategies. And, you know, the quantitative, when I, when I say that is more mathematical based strategies, right? We're looking at mm-hmm. probabilities and statistics. We're looking at mean reverting. We're looking at momentum. We're looking at all these different factors yep. and technology really, you know, has, we know we've lived through it has evolved rapidly. And one of the things I started to notice is that, look, that everything is now done digitally. Yeah. Right. All trading is done digitally. We chart everything. We can see everything. And so we actually went an engineering route. Um, it's our philosophy kind of going what I back to what I said earlier about fundamental investing and everybody having to see the price is to us, you could hire a hundred analysts to dig through a company's stock, but you have to go buy it, right? Mm-hmm. And there's certain price, uh, certain uh, changes in price and how price changes and, and all of those different things show themselves uh, on the tape every single day. And so um, you kind of know where people are making bets. You kind of know where things are occurring and where things are happening. Let them do all the work. We'll create a program to be able to kind of follow the trends. And so that's what we did, right? We've created a program that followed a trend. Um, Our philosophy is really systematic um, 100%. 
And it's based off more of an engineering approach that follows the different price action that occurs on a day-to-day basis. But okay. the one thing we do uh, a little bit differently, and, and I'm, okay, I'm happy to share this, is a lot of, almost everybody um, visualizes the market or charts the market or does their technicals based off of some sort of um, time frame, right? They're looking at daily charts, maybe yeah. a weekly chart, yeah. a five-minute chart if you're you know, a scalper. Right. Um, what we want to do is throw all that out of the window um, because there's just a lot of noise in that process. And so mm-hmm. we we chart everything or we visualize data um, for any asset class, whether it's a bond or whether it's Bitcoin, um, by its historical volatility. And so okay. we understand the historical volatility. Yeah. Um, we have to understand what that historical volatility is. We have to understand what our strategy is in terms of are we looking at, are we trying to, you know, make short-term profits? Or are we trying to make long-term cycle process, uh, um, profits? And ours is everything we do is more long-term yeah. with a focus on managing risk, hence the, the Bitcoin um, risk management yeah. and manage product. So really our philosophy is we want to do everything in a systematic way. We want to take advantage of long-term trends. We want to avoid getting blown up. And if we can, if we can do those three things, right, we don't want to be invested yeah. in asset class, whether it's the S&P or Bitcoin, if it's going to go down 20, 30, 40, 50, 60%, right? You won't have many clients long if you do that. Right. So. Well, yeah. I mean, even, I mean, buy and hold is still huge, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Buy and hold, you know, if I'm a buy and hold investor, there's nothing wrong with it. Being a buy and hold investor is great. You have a plan and a process. Your plan and your process, I'm going to buy and hold this and I'm not going to get emotional about it. And I'm just going to set it and forget it. And yeah. you have to, but you have to be okay to stomach the drawdown. There's a lot of investors yeah. out there yeah. that say they want to be a passive investor and they live through their first real real market drawdown mm-hmm. and they can't handle it. Yeah. Um, and traditional portfolio diversification, if we can go back to you know regular equities and bonds. This is the first year in a long time where bonds and equities have, have traded down almost the same. They're almost in tandem. So if you're a 60-40 investor and you're passive, you're hoping the bonds were going to help hedge out some of the risk. Well, guess what? Long, long-term bonds are down 19% year to date. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, um, there are other people that want to have some protection and some risk management, and that's where we come into the fold. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe walk, walk us through like an example of like how, how you guys view the world has kind of helped in the last six months to a year. Like, whatever comes to mind, but like, how has your process benefited, you know, your advisor clients then ultimately, you know, and, and sure. Yeah. I mean, let's, if we're on a crypto podcast, let's talk about crypto, Um, Bitcoin, Ethereum. We all know what's happened over the last, you know, year. Um, Even going back, there was a couple of instances where we've had major drawdowns um, in crypto. They're to be expected. It is a volatile Mm -hmm. asset. These things are expected to happen. Yeah. Um, Oh, I think I lost you for a sec, Brad. You there? Uh, Let's see. I lost your mic. Um, Let's see. Oh, I got you. Okay. we, We cut out there for a second there. Sometimes, I don't know if it's you or me, but sometimes Comcast likes to just cut stuff <laughs> off in my neighborhood so but now you're gonna have to now you're gonna have to edit it so we yeah. were going good without editing yeah um, no it's, it's all good uh, but yeah you were saying um you know how bitcoin ethereum dropped and how your yeah, yeah. has helped yeah yeah so i mean that initial drop um our clients lived through very little of it um yeah. they didn't they didn't have to they didn't have to worry about it right 
Mm. Um, and so that is where it helps. Um, the initial drop in equity markets, right? You know, we were peak to trough drawdowns were mitigated um, yeah. quite well. You know, but there's a there's a flip side to that, right? Is sure. we have to be an, an investor has to be okay with giving up upside or potential yeah. upside in order to have that drawdown mitigated, right? We're not going to yeah. ever get you all the upside, and you yeah, need to yeah. know that going in. Um, yeah. yeah. So in like in Bitcoin's case, you know, our whole philosophy and everything we every uh, what we tell everybody is, look, we'll try to get as much as the upside as we can. Um, we're gonna get you out and hopefully preserve your capital base. And then the way compounding works is if we preserve more of your capital base, you can live through the whole drawdown and we can start here. Um, you're going to compound more money over time. And that's really what we're trying to, uh, that's what we're trying to do in, in all the spaces that we work in gotcha, um, okay. in particular, but yeah, uh, these, yeah. these, these are hard environments to navigate through, but these are environments in which we, we really show our business case. For um, sure. Yeah. You know, we there's no reason for us to make any transactions or do anything if markets are just going straight up. But when you have uncertainty and you have volatility, having at least peace of mind to know that we're there, yep, is really helpful. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's where you earn your fee, right? Like, yeah, that's where we earn our. I mean, we we don't we we earn our fee by kind of monitoring and waiting while everything's good. But you know sadly enough, what ends up happening in every cycle, and you know this, is people get invested a little bit late to the game. There's a correction. They panic. They sell. They wait. They get in too late. And they end up- It's the classic chart, the optimism, euphoria, depression, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Let us handle that. Let us handle that um, in a way that's systematic, that's unemotional, yeah. Um, and to try to keep you invested for very long periods of time, but make the decision for you based off of sound risk management principles to be able to preserve your capital so you don't freak out. Yeah. Um, so you're so you're not calling me when you're down twenty five or thirty percent and saying, yeah. "Hey, Brad, I need my I need my money back. This just isn't going well." And yeah. then they don't do anything with it for a year. Markets recover, then they get back in the party. And for so sure. yeah. we're just trying to protect investors. And honestly, even sometimes advisors um, from from making that classic mistake. That so I was kind of going to kind of go there next. Is how like what what is Thor's role in kind of helping to explain the strategy and set quote unquote sell it to either the advisor or the client? Like how do you kind of help support that process? Yeah, we're really hands on. Um, okay. We spend a lot of time with advisor on the uh, with advisors on the front end, really explaining our strategies and really explaining our process and what yeah. and how we do it, and then empower them to be able to tell the story. Yeah. Um, we provide them with you know white labeled um, you know fact sheets or different ideas that they can use um, sure. and be able to yeah. take them to their clients to support that. And then on the actual physical client side, you know uh, I spend a lot of times a lot of time uh, with certain advisors that might have a big prospect that yeah. they just don't have in-depth knowledge enough of the strategy that they need, they want us to help sell it and, and we'll do that. Um, yeah. And that's been, that's been success- successful, but we do a lot of things in terms of support. I just got done with, um, you know, recording a, a webinar for um, a group of advisors um, that are kind of all over the country that work with one, with one TAMP, uh, one trading okay. outfit. And so yeah. 
I'll give them monthly updates. I give monthly updates uh, via, you know, webinar. I did one last night for a client of mine in Denver and they also okay. have offices yeah. in California. Right. So yeah. we do a lot in terms of support um, and, and, okay. and education. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how, like how, how are most advisors kind of coming to you? Like, is it word of mouth or are they hearing about you through, I don't know if you're like plugged into the custodians in any way or whatever yeah. relationships you have, like, so in the beginning, it was, you know, we started this company in late 2018 and then, you know, started going in 2019, then the, the world stopped, right? Um, and so it was ground and I bet you I did 14 to 15 advisor demo calls a, a week for eight months during, you know, COVID. Yeah. And we grew our book that way organically. Um, and we went from a startup with zero in assets to well over a billion dollars today. And that was the beginning. Um, now it's word of mouth. Um, I'll get an advisor, I'll get an email or a demo request from an advisor and say, Hey, so-and-so advisor in North Carolina really likes you guys. I'd like a demo. And so we do that. We're also integrated in a lot of different, um, TAMPs or different, um, or different fintechs out there. Um, so, sure. yeah. you know, whether it's Advisor Peak, that's a rebalancing software, um, or, there, you know, there's a handful of different uh, fintechs that we're out there partnered with where you can find information or connect with us. And um, so we, we've we made a lot of really good, strong um, integration partners throughout the space that's helped us grow model marketplaces, places okay, like yeah. Black, yeah. Um, you know, those types of venues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Shoot, I, I've been thinking about a couple of things. Is uh, what did I want to ask? Totally blanking on it. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to throw in here while I'm trying to recover my question. No, it's fine. I just, uh, you know, we're just really, we're just really trying to work and support and educate advisors, yeah. uh, whether it's crypto or whether it's traditional asset management. Um, there's a better way to do it. We always tell the story, right. And I kind of went through that technology evolution or the evolution of learning, um, how to, how to do my job, right. From fundamental to technical, to rules-based to engineering and and all of that. Right. And the way, the story we always like to tell advisors is why are we still, why are you still, or why is the majority of the industry still investing the way, uh, with modern portfolio theory that was invented 60 years ago. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I, I like to tell the story. Look, look at the advancements of of having the having to go on a road trip. Right, you used to have to buy an outlet or buy a, a one of those books at the gas station and chart yeah. it out by hand. And then we had the internet, and you can go on MapQuest and you could print out your directions. Yeah. Um, okay, great, that's fine. Uh, and then you got your TomTom or your navigation in your car. Okay, yeah. even better. Um, but it still had its limitations. And so now we have ways or you have Google Maps that not only is it going to tell me how to get to point A to point B, but it's going to tell me if there's an accident. It's going to tell me whether there's a detour, whether it's going to tell me in real time, whether there's a faster route, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what we're doing with investments is, look, there's this, everybody's still following modern portfolio theory. Why are we not adopting technology to be able to help people manage their investments in a smarter way? And yeah. that's our whole core core story. It's let's let's use these new technologies um, that they've come up with in engineering and science and physics to kind of understand how to look at markets in a different way, rather than just saying, we're going to go back with Markowitz and modern portfolio theory that was invented in the fifties and we're not going to change it. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that, you know, that's. Our yeah, no, there, there'd be a lot to unpack there. Like, um, 
So I figured out my question, but I'll save that because uh, I'm kind of curious about this. So like for your guys' internal tech, like you talked about new technologies to run m- money better, you know, differently. What is it that you guys leverage to, you know, build a better mousetrap? Like how do you, h- how did you build for? Like, yeah. So, you know, it's, you, you come up with the, you come up with a theoretical idea and then have to, I'm not a coder, right? So you have to, um, get people that can then take your theoretical idea and can you put it into a rules-based pro- process via, mm-hmm. via code and get that into a platform that allows us to test that theoretical idea and whether or not it works and is it robust and how did it work you know, historically and how is it going to work in the future? And is it working now how it worked in the past? And mm-hmm. the other thing we you know, um, work with is I, I kind of mentioned to you, we don't look at things through a lens of time. We look at things through a lens of volatility. So we have to create systems that can analyze the, every single tick of data that we have for any asset class that we run and optimize that volatility look for what we're trying to accomplish, right? And then mm-hmm. apply those things. So, you know, that's, um, you know, we're using AI optimization to do that. We're building out, you know, different platforms of codes at different speeds. I mean, we're looking at we're looking at every tick of data that goes through the market. It takes a tech stack to be able to do that yep. on those 80 or 90 different asset classes that we're looking at in real time. Okay. Um, so... And then automate it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's I can't be behind the computer all day. You know, looking at it and having. And so, how do we automate that process end to end? Make sure it's uh, make sure it's a stable environment. Make sure that there's no hiccups. And you know, those are the things yeah. we have to do. Because quite honestly, just one more point about this is, an advisor doesn't have time to do all of these things, right? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> they don't have time to do the research. They don't have to sell. They don't have time to service their clients. So if they can onboard offload all of that work to us that all we have to do is deliver them. Here's what you have to do. Here are the trades that you might have to make today um, yeah. to make it that simple. Um, they don't have to worry about the rest of it anymore. And it frees them up to do what they're good at, which is selling and servicing their clients. Interesting. So you, it kind of begs a question. You, so you touched on something. So like when I was at Morgan Stanley, I worked on a Greystone team. There was their institutional consulting arm. And when I was a younger advisor, I did a lot of the wholesaler strategist meetings, just trying to mm-hmm. see, see what people are selling, right? But the obvious reason there is you got to do your due diligence on even the managers themselves, right? Yep. So like while the managers obviously are doing the valuation analysis and the timing and you know global macro, all that sort of stuff. Ultimately, you still have to assess the manager. So if I'm yep. an advisor and I'm looking at you and Thor, I've got to try and, you know, are you full of shit or not? Right. Yep. Like, um, yep. So how do how do advisors kind of like have you asked, I guess, any of your advisor clients, like how they think about looking at you guys and what they should be looking at? And like, do you consult on that at all? Or sure. Yeah. No, I so I think one of the one of the things that's very helpful for us is we've been we've been doing this for a very long time. The retail yeah. space might be new to us, but the alternative investment space and all the work we did there, um, you know, the, the kind of breadth of breadth of, of track record there um, gives them some solace. Um, sure. But what's most important um, is that we don't advertise or put out a fact sheet with returns that are, outrageous, uh, that are too good to be true. Yeah. That if you look at our stuff, it's, there's nothing, 
you know, sexy about it. Um, but it does what it says it's going to do. It's robust. And the reason it is, is we don't, we don't, you know, we're not optimizing a back test and hoping things work in the future, right? We don't change our process ever. Um, and so we know what it's going to do and when, and we can speak well, uh, speak well to that and, and provide expectations. I can sit here with, to you today and say, you know, just looking at things, you know, if X, Y, and Z were to occur, this is going to be the likely outcome in terms of what, what a trade is going to look like in the, yeah. in, in that, knowing that and um, being able to understand our technology, it gives people, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, trust in it where we see people get burned is there's, they look at different systematic approaches or they're looking at different pieces of technology that are running money and the returns are outrageous. They've never had a losing year. Um, they're up double digits every year. There's barely any losing months. Uh, and then you turn it on and it just doesn't work. And that's because yeah. everything has been curve fitted and optimized. And so you need to ask those questions. Are these returns optimized? Are they back fitted? Um, are any of them real? Are they just back tested? Yeah. You know, what is real? What is not? Yeah. Um, how did it act in X, Y, and Z scenario with real money? Um, yeah. And so until you are able to answer those questions and until you're able to have the track record to be able to show and, and scroll back and say, well, here's exactly what it did. Um, yeah. You know, it's definitely a harder lift um, when you're just yeah. scratch. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, that all makes sense. I mean, it's what one area kind of where my mind goes to is just like the investing public often has such a hard time understanding what advisors actually do. Right. And it, I mean, we don't make it easy as an industry because right. everyone's right. an advisor, but what kind right. of advisor are you? Right. Um, and I think, I think even sometimes advisors can get into deep water and struggle and trying to assess, you know, something as esoteric as like a risk, you know, volatility based, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum strategy, right? Um, right. So it's, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but th that's kind of where my head went is you just got to be kind of, everyone, the platitude is everyone says, do your research. But if you don't know how to do your research or what to look for, like you can think you're doing research, but you're not, right? Right. So it's like practicing, it's like hitting golf balls with a terrible swing, right? Until you like understand what you're supposed to be doing, you're not going to get any better. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, you can hit a 10,000 balls. You're just not going to get any better. But, um, you know, you're right. Doing due diligence on third-party managers is extremely important. And knowing what your role is as an advisor, as you were saying, is extremely important. I know a lot of advisors who say, well, you know, we do, we do planning, we do tax, and I'm also the money manager. Well, what's your specialty? Yeah. Right? You can't be good at all those. <laughs> you can't be good at all of those. And yeah. so the, the advisors that work with us know what they're really good at. They, they know that they're really good at planning. They provide those ancillary services. They know they're really good with their clients and being able to support them and provide them with information and education. But yeah. they also know that they don't have the time, energy, effort, or know-how to be able to you know, properly manage the assets um, unless yeah. they're just going to be buy and hold passive. Yeah. Um, and you know, what are you paying? So unless you're really providing exemplary service elsewhere, what are you really paying for when, if you're just passively buy and hold as an advisor? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I think that's an incredibly fair point. And you also kind of touched, came back to my other question for you. So uh, it was, what is like a best client for you? And you kind of answered that from like a advisor profile 
standpoint, yeah. but like where, where are most of your clients coming from? Are they all RAA or do you have some broker dealers or wirehouse people in there? Like where they're, they're everywhere, mostly RIA. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say about 80% of them are probably RIA. We have a few at wirehouses um, that'll okay. grow as, as time goes on. Um, but really our ideal client, it's, it's interesting. Um, our ideal client really is that RIA who's got, 50 to $250 million in assets. So they've, okay. they've got a good book of business. Um, they've, they've have a great client base. Um, they don't have the, they're, they're at that threshold where do I hire a full-time CIO to take advantage mm-hmm. of, to, to make the portfolio decisions, to make everything look consistent across, to have consistent portfolios across the board, to have the monitoring, to have the rebalancing. Yeah. Uh, do I want to make that jump and institutionalize my business in terms of, bringing on that extra manpower to do that? Or do I want to outsource that function? And so a lot of them outsource that function to us um, or a TAMP that has us available. So, you know, there's a firm out of Denver called UX Wealth. Okay. They they help them with their, you know, they help these size RIAs with their billing, with their trading. Um, They help them, they provide them a model marketplace that have have our models in them. Um, They help them with um, getting the right risk um, provider in there for doing client risk. So there's consistency across the book. Um, but you know, where I was going with that is like those types of, uh, RIAs can now, all right, I'm going to outsource my trading. I'm going to outsource my money management. I, I'm going to outsource my billing all for a basis point fee and I can do what I'm really good at. And so like yeah. that's, we're also picking up a lot of wirehouse conversions. So a guy leaving Merrill or Morgan who yeah. had a lot of that portfolio research done for them. Yep. Um, yep. and never had to do it before. Well, yeah. I'm just going to outsource it. That way I know I have consistency across my book. Um, yeah. I don't have assets kind of everywhere. Um, and so that's that's our ideal client who we work with generally. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, that that just makes sense to me. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, that just makes sense to me. Um, well, shoot, man, we're at about an hour. Do you want to start to kind of begin to wrap this up? Like, do you have any other sort of closing thoughts or comments you want to throw out there? No, this was fun. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I, you know, I think just over overarching thought and idea is that if you're an advisor listening to this and you haven't done anything to kind of institutionalize the way that you look at crypto, you probably yeah. should. Um, and not it doesn't mean using an, a third party asset manager. What it means is having, you know having a solution out there to be able to help you onboard, retain client assets and to, and to get them in, in us in this space if they want it, because it's only coming and it's yeah. only coming faster. Yeah. And if you're left behind, um, like I said, really early in the show, 84% yeah. of people would leave their advisor for someone who could offer them some education and custody of their crypto assets. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, great, ben. If you're an advisor, make sure you keep that 84% of your book. Yeah. And go talk to Brad. Yeah. Uh, Well, cool, man. Um, Yeah. Thanks again for doing this. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. Um, Definitely be curious to just kind of track your guys' growth as we move through the next couple of years. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. I hope to meet you in the future sometime, maybe at a conference or something. And, uh, but again, appreciate you having me on and, you know, look forward to talking in the future. Yeah. Totally.